Hello everyone. My name is Srikant. I'm the host of the show Inspire Someone today. This podcast brings in personalities from a cross section of our society who will share their perspectives, learnings, hacks and experiences that can inspire all of us in our journeys. Come join me on this ride. Welcome back to the last episode of 2023. Teaching together 12 best advice across all the episodes of 2023 in no specific order. Here it is. So what are the skills that's relevant in the new age? We had the privilege of having MSR the CEO of T-Hub on episode 75 where he alluded the current age skills are the four Cs which is critical thinking creativity communication and collaboration listen in as msr alludes to how these skills are relevant in the current state but i'll tell you where i think as opposed to just learning specific set of skills i think if individuals focus on essentially the four Cs if you will right which is about you know critical thinking creativity collaboration and communication right these are four skills So I think I'll put it this way, right? I think technology will shift every five years, and the pace of change of technology is rapid. So what will stand you in good stead is these four things, which is being able to think your way through a problem critically, one, right? Being able to question why, you know, and not accepting anything, you know, at face value, but really getting deeper and understanding. Second is creativity, because you know, for example, we've all heard about this thing called the creator economy. where which didn't exist a few years ago collaboration being able to work with other people as part of teams and more than ever it's not just good being, being technically but also being able to communicate i thoroughly enjoyed and took away so many learnings from our conversation with ravi venkateshan ravi shared the impact of pygmalion effect and to my question on how does one encounter self doubt he had this to say you always have anxieties fears of failure self doubt all these things but i again you know one of my favorite quotes is that courage is not the absence of fear or self doubt it is the ability to operate despite it so you know it's human to have anxieties and self doubt and fear but you know you put it away and keep going and usually things work out those on the heels of ravi's episode was episode 83 this was randall reeves one of the very few individuals on this planet to have taken figure 8 voyage and in our conversation randall touched upon the ability of how he went about overcoming fears he so vividly put it across courage is ability to operate despite having the fears it's about preparedness anticipation and facing fear with confidence it's difficult to answer that question because i think people who haven't sailed look at the fear differently than people who have mm-hmm. so it's not as though i had done the figure eight voyage but i had some sailing experience versus most people i talked to have none you think about you're looking at it with like the eyes wide open whereas when i finally left on the figure eight in 2017 i had about 30,000 miles of ocean sailing and i'd spent at least 3 years preparing. So, 
the fear is different, right? Part of what I had come to was I had solved the puzzle. I knew it was possible. I didn't know if my boat could do it. I didn't know if I could do it, but I knew it was possible. I'd laid it down such that it, it was logical. The route was logical. The timings were logical. I knew it could be done. I just wasn't sure that I could do it. So the fear was more about, can I keep myself on point and can I handle the weather, the daily challenges? And the challenges are not small, right? I remember talking to a friend of mine about this and, and relating to him some of the fears that I had. It's like, well, you know, what if I'm hit by a ship in the middle of the night? And what if when I'm hit by that ship that puts a hole in the boat? And what if there's so much water coming to the boat that I sink and I drown? And he said, well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, back up. So, you know, a sign of value to each of those three fears. Let's just like pick something out of thin air. So let's say there's a 50% chance that you'll get hit by a ship. And there's a 50% chance that you'll put a hole in the boat. And there's a 50% chance that that hole in the boat will be big enough to sink the boat. Well, those 50%, so 50% times 50% times 50% is what? It's like 13%, 12%. So in actual, the chance of your dying is not 50%. The chance of your dying is more like 10% from an event like that. Point being, I was really worried about cascading failure, about many things happening and feeding off each other that would kill me. But whereas, in matter of fact, my friend was saying, look, you have a brain, things happen one at a time, you can figure things out, and the chances of them all combining together to kill you are actually very, very small. So the point of that story was, think it through, right? I hadn't really thought it through, and I was, I was being irrational in my fear. This conversation with Sudhabi made me to think, how many times have I relied on insights coming from others than my own gut feeling? And just strengthen the case that lot many times we don't give enough credit, enough recognition to our own thoughts and gut feelings. And this conversation really changed that perspective to weigh in more to those gut feelings and see how the change can transform us. In retrospection, I can start by saying that today, I believe that there is a deep innate wisdom in each one of us. I'm not saying in few, but literally I'm saying each one of us. We need to learn how to tap into that wisdom. So when somebody gives an advice, and this is what I I do today, and I'll explain, I will kind of briefly mention what I did before also, right? As in where I wasn't as wise. Earlier, especially when I did Elixir Fitness, right? I thought I have no idea about my this health and wellness industry. I have no idea how to do a service retail business before. So I would ask 10 different people these questions. What should I do? How should I do it? And remember, I mean, I was going as an engineer into this business. I'm a founder, but I'm still an engineer in my head and sitting in small cubicle. So I thought I didn't know. And therefore, I have to ask industry experts, people who have done this before. They can advise and I can follow that. And every time something went wrong and I kind of knew that this is not this is not how it should be done. And my gut was telling me that I need to do it differently, not follow this advice. But because they know better, I thought, therefore, I followed their advice. Not that they were wrong, but in my situation, which only I know fully, only I can choose and only I can decide. And remember, when you own a business, all success is credit to everybody. All failures are your own. And you have to accept it. And that's how it works. And that's how it should be. So it is my decision if we fail. And fail meaning take time, take cost, whatever. Failure is not permanent here, right? Not in that sense. So slowly and surely from then onwards, I started trusting my own gut. So we can ask people and what resonates. If it resonates, that means it matches with our own innate wisdom. 
then most of the time it works because you may not have conscious awareness of what's the right answer but you will feel it all the time you will always feel it so i think um, there is no good and bad advice what resonates with you most and if you are connected with your own gut instinct then you will always go right if the last four insights were about mind this conversation on episode 101 took to a different trajectory with tom nash he brought in a perspective of what's beyond resilience and that's a phrase called anti fragility yes here from tom's own words of how it is even more important to be anti fragile than just being focused on being resilient i kind of realized that i was acting in a bit of an anti fragile way naturally after having gone through my disability and i was reading a little bit about um a field of study called post traumatic growth which is almost the opposite of post traumatic stress um uh, which more people are familiar with i guess uh but post traumatic growth is when people go through a trauma or or some sort of a large challenge i guess and and grow stronger as a result out of it could be ment- mentally i guess um and the more i read about it then i came across anti fragile the 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 book and the idea by Nassim Taleb and as i alluded to before he he talks about it in in the sense of economies in a way and and a lot in industries like if you think about he talks about um airlines uh, as an industry are anti fragile because uh, every time a plane crashes uh, it forces everyone to do a lot of you know audits and upgrade of planes and so so the industry as a whole actually gets safer after every crash right so the plane on its own is not anti fragile but the industry is anti fragile would i imagine capturing stories becoming a storyteller would be as easy as creating homework for life it's a simple technique that i have started liking it is capturing this is not journaling this is more about capturing those moments memories that happens through the day and have a log of it so that it comes in handy for storytelling but more importantly to jog back the memory lane to see capture those wonderful moments that has happened through the course of the day week month and year so listening as mad dicks on episode 99 shares this wonderful concept of homework for life So in an effort to find more stories to tell back early in my career when I was sort of running out of ideas I decided I would sit down at the end of every day and I would ask myself what's the most storyworthy moment from my day and regardless of whether something really storyworthy happened or it was nothing I'm going to pick something from that day and I'm going to write it down now I don't believe in writing the whole story down cuz that's great effort and people are just going to skip days if they're told that they have to write 500 words every day So I just use Excel the the program I two columns is a date and on the left and then I stretch that B column across the screen and in the B column just the the length of a computer screen that's where I write what happened over the course of the day that I think is going to be story worthy and my goal was to sort of get 12 new stories per year a new story per month that maybe I would have forgotten about had I not done homework for life but what happened instead and not just for me for thousands of people all over the world I discovered that my days are filled with stories that every day contains moments that I don't want to release moments I don't want to forget that I used to forget all the time. It's terrible like one of the worst games I can play here I'll play it with you in your audience right now. You take your age whatever it is. I happen to be 52. So today we'll subtract 
So if I do 52 minus 12, I get 40. Whatever your number is, do your math right now. And then think of that year of your life. For me, my 40th year of my life. Think about how many things you remember from that year of your life. You know, you went around the sun, not a planet, for 365 days. And quite often, people can't remember a thing about 12 years ago. You know, I have people in workshops cry all the time because they said and really they realize they've lost a year of their life. They can't remember a single thing. Does that mean that nothing happened that year? No, of course not. It just means they didn't take account of it. So homework for life, whether you want to be a storyteller or you just want to be a human being who slows time down and notices things that you're not noticing right now, homework for life is is that process for you to help you see your days better, hold on to your days better, slow time down and start to see the meaning in your life that you're not seeing right now. A lawyer turned CEO who is running in hospital. Episode 88, Ujwala joined us to share her experience of running in hospital. And more importantly, her approach towards making learning an ongoing process for herself and for her team. How do you learn from others and keep yourself relevant in a fast-changing world and learning from different sources? So listening to Ujwala as she articulates the power of learning from others. I constantly think that we have to keep re- you know, reinventing ourselves and you know, you know, looking at what are the areas that we are not good at and seeing can we solve it uh, you know, differently. Second is creating a network of people that you can talk to. I have a strong network of mentors, other entrepreneurs, uh, other leaders in healthcare. I'm always reaching out to, I, I don't particularly care about, you know, this is where I don't have much of an ego in terms of what should will they think if I ask for help. I don't bother about all of that. I ask because, you know, my father always said, if you don't ask anyway, the answer was no. So, you know, so if you ask and the answer is no, it's fine, but at least you tried, you know. So I constantly reach out to people. I My process uh, when I have a doubt or when I'm unsure is to talk. I talk to my team, I discuss it with my team and I openly tell them that I don't know. I'm conflicted. I'm unsure of what decision to take. And sometimes I think, you know, decision making, being very quick in decision making is also good. But sometimes when you're unsure, take time. Defer decision making. It's okay. Things can, will come to you. Things will get clarified. You know, time does. Sometimes things are very time sensitive, but sometimes we put unnecessary pressure on ourselves to take a decision, take a quick decision. No, not necessary. I would say when I'm unsure about people, for example, I will wait to meet the right person instead of making a wrong hire, you know, in a hurry. I have done that mistake in the past and I don't think it's not a good mistake to make. If longevity is on your mind, you should definitely head to episode 89 with Prashant Desai. What was supposed to be a two-part discussion, one on Prashant's entrepreneurial venture and two on his studies on longevity. It was a wonderful masterclass of understanding the science behind longevity and methods that Prashant is experimenting and implementing to forge longevity into his lifestyle. Listening to Prashant on episode 89. If my belief systems are stronger, my behavior automatically changes. So what is Dr. Sinclair's philosophy? Just to give your listeners and uh, a precursor to that, Dr. David Sinclair is the Dean of uh, Gerontology at Harvard. He's dedicated his entire life 
to studying a set of longevity genes called sirtuins. Okay. And uh, I was telling you about 2005, 2010, when this whole zero science space kind of got a big flip. Before that, you know, all scientists who were in this field were, you know, though they were working on aging, but they were killing each other, trying to say who is right, who is wrong. Till that time came and they all agreed on nine hallmarks of aging. And they kind of cut this into a pizza slice, giving each of these equal weightage. Dr. David Sinclair, who was at that time studying sirtuins, which is part of one of the hallmarks called epigenetic reprogramming, to which I will come in a minute. When he did more work, he realized that behind all these nine slices of pizza or nine hallmarks of aging, there is one thing which is common. And that is the sirtuins and the role these sirtuins play. And he has since then written this book called Lifespan, explaining the process. So what does he say? He's saying that if you look at our human body, we are made up of trillions of cells. Okay, When we were in our mother womb, when the sperm and the egg met, one embryotic cell took birth. And then it kept multiplying, dividing. Nine months, lo and behold, a baby is born. Okay, But if you go back, our human body is made up of trillions and trillions and trillions of cells. Each of these cells have our DNA. Okay, Our DNA is like your binary code. It's digital in nature and it consists of four letters, A, T, C and G. Okay, We get 3.2 billion letters from our mom and 3.2 billion letters from our dad. Every cell in our body has 6.4 billion letters. Okay, If I put this 6.4 billion letters in a straight line, it will be six feet tall inside one cell. Okay, Entire body's DNA, if I put it in a straight line, it goes to the moon and comes back eight times. That much DNA is in every human body. Okay. Now imagine one cell. We have trillions of cells. How is the cell storing this DNA? It can't store it in a straight line. So it very carefully pools this DNA. This pooling of DNA is storing the digital information very similar to the DVD players that we had, if you remember in olden days. Songs were there in the DVD system. So think of your DNA as the digital information on the CD. But it's binary. It's ATCG. The DVD on its own cannot play the song. DNA on its own is just a set of instruction. It cannot do. It needs a reader. Now, have you ever wondered when all cells are same and every cell is the same genetic information, how does one cell go on to become eye, one cell go on to become skin, one cell goes on to become hair, one cell goes on to become nail? Identical information. That role. The reading of the DNA or the DVD is played by something called as epigenome. Epigenome means above. Epi means above. It sits above the genome and its role is when the DNA was pooled, that 6.4 billion letters, Mother Nature spooled it in a way that it kept some genes on and some genes off. Epigenome reads which genes are on and which genes are off. By reading which genes are on and which genes are off, it tells the cell, hey, you cell, go and become I. Not only will you become I, but will you, you will also remain I for the next 100 years. Why? Because tomorrow, if it loses this instruction, and instead of I, that cell becomes hair. Just imagine what will happen to your eye. There will only be hair. Ever seen a lot of people as they old, they get a lot of hair in their ear. That is genetic instructions going wrong. The cell which was supposed to remain skin has become hair. And hence you are growing more hair when you are supposed to grow skin. 
So you have DVD, which is basically the DNA or the genetic information digital. Epigenome, which reads this information like a DVD player. If you look at a DVD player, when you bought a new DVD player, it was playing the songs beautifully. Then what happened? Slowly, the DVD started getting some scratches. Those scratches are the noise. So when there is a very small scratch, nothing happens. From the time we are born, we start damaging our DNA or the DVD. Every time you go and damage the DNA, you know, somebody has to come and do the cleaning up process. But these scratches that we develop over a period of time is nothing but aging. We want to live long. We also want to be happy. That's exactly what we covered on episode 91 with Dr. Happy. Elevating happiness is something that you choose. And that's precisely what Dr. Happy introduced us to, the choose framework. Jump right in to listening to this framework that will definitely help you to boost and give you a dose of happiness every day. So choose happiness to choose framework. So much of my work for almost 20 years now, it was about 20 years ago, I developed a philosophy, I suppose, of, of happiness, which was drawn from all the research into positive psychology and related fields. And in, in summary, that was about happiness is something you choose. And when I say choose, I mean that in two ways. One, by choosing, I mean it's about, I suppose it's about taking responsibility and prioritizing happiness. You know, there are a lot of people who say they want to be happier, but when you look at their day-to-day lives, they're really not prioritizing it. They're prioritizing other things. And so if you prioritize other things, they will take determine your focus and, and your actions, etc. So so the first part of happiness is something you choose is choosing a life where you really want to value happiness, taking responsibility that this is something I'm going to seek. I'm not going to just wait for someone else to give it to me. But choose is also an acronym that stands for six key strategies, um, again, based on the positive psychology research, which if you like, I'll, I'll quickly run through them now. So choose obviously uh, starts with C. And C starts, uh, C stands for, uh, well, it stands for clarity. And, and what I mean by that is clarity of values, clarity of priorities. I already touched on the idea that, you know, if we want more happiness, we need to prioritize it. But if we want a better life, a good life, we also need to, uh, lead a life that's guided by values. And um, this is a really, really important part of positive psychology. Um, and if you don't even know what those values are, you can't be guided by them. So the first thing, you know, we need to be clear about what's What's really important to me? Now, again, there's no right or wrong answers and your answers may well be different to mine and that's okay. There are different people with different lives, etc. But each and every one of us, we really want to live a good and meaningful life. We need to be clear. This is the C in clarity. Clear of what's really important to me. You know, is it about generosity, kindness, compassion, or is it about competition? And you know, there's different ways we can live our lives. Some ways are more likely to lead to more happiness and thriving and flourishing and health and well-being. Other ways, maybe less so. So, so that's the first thing I really encourage people to do is to sit back and ask, you know, what's really important to you? Is it, you know, is it empathy and tolerance or is it something else? Is it love and kindness or is it something else? And then once we're really clear on that, they should guide pretty much every decision we make every single day. And that makes living a good life that much easier. Without that clarity, it's very hard. It's it's like you know, it's like trying to hit a target that you can't even see. Uh, so that's the C in, in it's about clarity of values, priorities, etc. The H, so the H in two stands for healthy living. Now, too often people talk about psychological health and physical health as separate things, but they're 
they're really not separate, intimately and integrally interlinked. Um, so we know that our psychological well-being can affect our physical health and well-being and vice versa. So if we want to enjoy more happiness, we need to look after our physical health and well-being. Life is too short, Guy. The author of this book, Scott White, was on episode 85. And according to a long-standing research, what makes a great life? It's power of relationship. Yes, you heard it right. The power of relationship is what makes a great life. Do listen in as Scott shares this empirical research study that emphasizes on the relationship between happiness, longevity, and having a great life. It's that relationship. The longest running longitudinal study, it's one of the few studies I talk about in the book, on what makes a good life. The study started at Harvard University in the late 1930s, and it's still running today. 85 years later, they had an original cohort of 256 Harvard sophomores, I believe it was. And then a few years later, they added a second cohort of about 450 some odd inner city youth, people that, that weren't at Harvard, people that had different backgrounds. So in total, they had over 700 participants in the study that the Harvard researchers have followed for the last 80 plus years. And obviously not all of the participants are still alive, but they're following their children, their grandchildren, in-depth questionnaires, physical exams, mental health assessments. Anyway, it is a trove of massive data on what makes a good life. And the key takeaway, like you could summarize 85 years and thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, I don't know, of pages of data into one or two sentences. And the most important thing to live a happy life, to what makes a good life, is the power of relationships. Famous Chinese proverb says, a best time to grow a plant is 20 years ago, and the next best time is now. That was exactly what Ram Kumar Narayanan alluded on episode 102 of creating a portfolio life, which is on the premise of building networks, having opportunities to expand one's horizon, developing perspectives, and it's an ongoing effort. It's not something that happens when things knock at our door and we have to fall, rise up, and then start scouting for a portfolio, career, or life. It's about preparing for those moments in life and career. And that's exactly what Ram highlighted in this episode of Portfolio Careers. In some ways, I wish I had learned it. But in, you know, if I look back on my life, right, I've always had a portfolio in some sense. I, in, I didn't call it that. I didn't even know it was called that until I met my, my ment- one of my mentors who framed it so nicely and wrote a book around it. But I think the innate curiosity, Kicking the tires all the time. So even when I was whether I was a college or student, uh, or I was in the workforce, I've always kept side projects, right? Whether it is more formal or informal, I've always had things going on, multiple things going on in my life. I mean, I have there was obviously a primary one which paid my bills and you know gave me a salary and all that kind of stuff. But I've always been a fan of trying out multiple things, you know, all the time. Just keep something boiling, right? Some areas of interest boiling. For me personally. So I have side projects and I have you know things that I do. That has helped me be able to weather changes that have come up also. You know, not everything that happens in your personal or professional life is always up and to the right, right? I mean, there's always challenges that come up. 
But I think what has helped me mitigate that is that, right? Having those other avenues, having, uh, you know, relationships with people, networks that I can tap into, talk to, right? Not, not build those networks when I needed them, but when I didn't need them so that I can tap into them uh, when I needed to get answers or have somebody go talk to when things change. So I think that's a very important thing that everybody needs. So I wish I had learned this earlier in my life in some ways. Right? How do you build these networks and things? But uh, but nevertheless, I think it's an important piece. And that allows you to then start to examine options in front of you, you know, when things change. Right? Um, and so I don't know if I want to call it a portfolio life, but keeping those different avenues active is important. And even today, you know, even you know, at this stage, I do my day job and have that, but I also do a lot of other things in the ecosystem. I get involved with it, which gives me a, a set of perspectives, which I don't get by just working for one company because it opens me up to a diverse set of people and thoughts and ideas. Episode 86 takes us to a discussion with Suhas Vedam, the broadcaster, wonderful, wonderful storyteller. And how do you bring all of these lessons together? These are 12 lessons. And the answer to that lies in this beautiful message that Suhas shared, which is all about trusting the process and believing in ourselves. Again, going back to the episode with Ravi Venkateshan was about self-doubt and wrapping up is having that belief and trust in oneself. I hope you enjoyed these 12 lessons that I captured during the course of this uh, year. Do feel free to log in to any of these episodes, listen in more and feel free to share it amongst your network. And I would love to hear from you what you felt about all of these episodes, all of these wonderful guests who were on the show and their presence, their inputs, their insights had a tremendous bearing on me and I hope it had on you as well. Keep listening and until next time, keep inspiring. All the listeners, listen, start somewhere. It's not going to be the greatest of opportunities, but start somewhere. And uh, the beauty of what we do, if you want to be in front of the camera or behind the microphone, is that we don't know who's listening. So just because you did not see the door doesn't mean you haven't even knocked the door. You've actually knocked the door and you don't know it yet. You will know it when somebody slides into your DMs or somebody texts you on LinkedIn saying, you know what, I saw you in that one small match in, in, in Santa Clara. This is what I felt after that. Thank you so much. That'll give you just enough motivation to go into the next phase or the next stint, etc. So you will have moments like that. Just believe in yourself and keep going. Trust the process. That's a wrap for this year, folks. Thank you so much for your support, for your love, for your affection. Without all of this, Inspire Someone today couldn't have been in the top 25% of all podcasts this year. With presence in 71 plus countries, this has been an absolute pleasure, joy and loads of learning in creating these ripples of inspiration. So before we sign off, wishing you and your family and your near and dear ones a fantastic 2024 and come back for a lot more inspirers joining us and we continue to create these ripples of inspiration in 2024. Until then, keep listening, keep inspiring and take care of yourself. Thank you for all of your support. Thank you for listening into today's edition of Inspire Someone Today. It's been a privilege to bring in these conversations. If you like this episode and have any feedback or comments, 
Do mail me at inspire someone today podcast at the rate gmail.com. Inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us. If you like what to listen, feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration. Do not forget to follow me on my Instagram handle at the rate inspire someone today podcast for all the latest updates. This is Srikanth, your host, signing off, and until next time, keep inspiring.